This message comes from NPR sponsor Stripe. Tap to pay on iPhone, and Stripe can help you grow your business's revenue and reach through accepting more in-person, contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey, it's Manoush. So do you remember back in 2021 when this strange phenomenon began developing? Teenagers all over the world suddenly started showing Tourette's-like symptoms, seemingly out of nowhere. What we started to see is women that are college-aged, so 18 to 19, come in with like an abrupt onset of tics that are very violent, very severe, that they had to go to the emergency room for. Caroline Olvera is a neurologist in Chicago, and she had treated plenty of teenagers with tic disorders in the past. But the symptoms were usually more mild and came on gradually. Oh, yeah. So if you look at a typical kind of timeline of tics, the kid might notice it get worse or their parents. And that's when they're typically brought to see a physician or a neurologist. But if you like sit down and talk to them, it's been going on for years. These cases were different. Patient after patient after patient with sudden, severe symptoms. Really, for like three months, we were seeing a couple every week, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're used to seeing one of those patients a year, then it's kind of a pattern. Caroline and her colleagues were stumped. Where were all these ticks coming from? The teenage daughter of one of the doctors pointed out what she saw as an obvious culprit. Yeah, the daughter knew that her mom was a Tourette's doctor, was like, oh, mom, like, you know, this is all over TikTok. Like, kids are having ticks everywhere. I'm baking a cake while having Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> and so I yeah. had to download TikTok and, yeah. and, and looked at it like myself <laughs> and started looking at the videos and, like, they looked very similar to what we were seeing come into clinic. With a simple, oh! Google search, you will find that complex vocal tics involve repeating others' words. I get excited very easily. So now I have a tick where I... Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Just as quickly as they appeared, the symptoms faded away. Sometimes with help from therapists, sometimes just on their own. An outbreak of a malady with no clear medical reason is often referred to as a mass psychogenic illness, and they have been documented through the ages. There was the dancing plague of 1518, when people in a French town danced until they literally dropped dead. In 1962, an epidemic of laughter swept through a handful of girls' schools in Tanzania. More recently, Havana syndrome, the mysterious illness that hit dozens of U.S. embassy staffers in Cuba, has been put in this category too. Reported sudden, unexplained symptoms of vertigo, confusion, and memory loss. But the TikTok tick incident, well, it's kind of like those contagions, but with a high-tech upgrade. Because social media, of course, made it possible for the symptoms to spread further and faster. And in some cases, even send kids to the emergency room. Which brings us to episode five. 
So far in this series, we've talked about the effects of sitting and being stuck looking at screens for hours, what that can do to our bodies. But this episode is about what information overload does to our physical and mental health. Think of it as the mind-body tech connection. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is Body Electric, our special series from NPR investigating the relationship between our technology and our bodies. For years, we've been hearing about the connection between social media and rising rates of depression and anxiety, especially in teenage girls. It's been freaking us all out for a while now. So it probably won't surprise you to hear that when researchers started piecing together the puzzle of the tick-tock-tick phenomenon, they found, yep, most of those teens were girls with a history of depression or anxiety. Their theory is that going through adolescence during a pandemic and spending lots of time online looking at these videos, well, the combination was just too much for some of them. I mean, who hasn't felt sick or worried or overwhelmed after spending time online. But the TikTok story shows that the right cocktail of stress, circumstance, and content, well, it can hit certain people hard. So what makes some people, especially young people, so vulnerable? And what can we do about it? Perhaps the key clue to this mystery when we come back. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines understands the support small businesses need. Every day we get the privilege of helping people to recover from the unexpected, realize their dreams, and help manage the risk of everyday life. And for small business owners, we help them to think about all the things that are necessary so that they can continue to run their businesses successfully without interruption. As a business owner myself, I first reflect back to the experiences that I have. So we look at their liability. We look at their retirement. We look at the interruption coverage, everything that they need in order to continue to operate efficiently. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, we're back. So we don't know exactly what was going on in the brains of the young people in that TikTok story. Because there is no one-size-fits-all. We each respond to information and emotion and feeling things differently. But there's a lot of research being done to understand mental health and its connection to the body. And in particular, a human sense that you probably haven't heard of is getting a lot more attention these days. I think we all need to add it to our vocabulary. Interoception. No, not perception or proprioception. That's the awareness of where your body is in space. This is interoception. 
Some experts call it our sixth sense. So interoception is a process by which the nervous system senses, interprets, and integrates information about the status of the interior of your body. Psychiatrist and neuroscientist Saeed Khalsa studies the role of interoception in human health at the Laureate Institute for Brain Research in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So if I asked you to tell me, are you breathing quickly? Um, or uh, are, you, uh, are you hungry? Or uh, are you having a, um, a stomach cramp or bloating? You could readily kind of tune into your body and, and tell me what you were feeling. Most of the time, you're not aware of most of the things that are happening inside of your body. Oftentimes, it's not until there's actually a meaningful change that happens, like your bladder fills and you notice, oh, my bladder's full, I need to pee, otherwise I'm going to be really uncomfortable. Or let's say you know that if you don't eat enough in the morning, you get really hangry. And at some point, you made the connection between being grouchy and not eating. And so now you avoid that feeling by, say, packing a granola bar, just in case. There are also certain physical sensations, like sweaty palms or a jittery hand, that can show up in a fun situation or an awful one. Either way, the symptom feels the same, but we learn to interpret it based on the circumstances. Think about a time when you your heart was pounding, like vigorously pounding in your chest, and, and you, you were breathing in a very hurried manner. You were in a state of internal excitement. So you could have just ridden a roller coaster or been awaiting the final interview for a very important job that you wanted or about to step out on stage to give an important presentation. Maybe you just... Uh, had a near-fatal car accident, or you were engaged in sexual activity, right? So here's a span of emotions that you can experience and for which the state of your body is a critical ingredient. When all this communication between our bodies, brains, and the outside world is running smoothly, our lives run more smoothly, and we don't even notice it. But stress and mental health conditions can cause signals to get scrambled. And oof, that's when things can get rough. Yeah. Well, so people with anxiety disorders frequently report feelings of heart palpitations or difficulty breathing, perhaps feeling that they're choking, um, flushing. Um, some people will feel disproportionate stomach cramping, bloating, uh, early fullness, even after eating very small meals. For the last several years, I've been wondering if our tech was somehow interfering with this dialogue between the body and the brain. I mean, on the one hand, we use tech as a tool to distract ourselves from feeling uncomfortable. We use it to tune out. On the other hand, the very things we look at on those gadgets, the content, well, that can be the source of our distress. Yeah, so I think interoception comes into this uh, because there's a very close link between what we're sensing and what we're preparing to do. So in my lab, we've done uh, a number of different experiments. We've used a number of different approaches to try to better understand interoception. And then how is interoception um, abnormally manifested in conditions like 
anxiety disorders, eating disorders. So um, we have a, a medicine that we can introduce in the body that manipulates your heart rate. Hmm. And we can map both the areas of your brain that respond to changes in heart rate and the areas of the brain that change in response to your feeling of your heart rate. And what we've found so far is that people with anxiety disorders, people with eating disorders, they tend to be more sensitive. In other words, they feel the change more mm. even when we provide the same uh, manipulation of their heart rate. Ah, okay. So some people are more affected by internal sensations and, and maybe they don't even know that that feeling is influencing them. Yeah. So maybe maybe somebody who feels everything intensely, maybe what they need to learn is how to kind of ignore or at least live with the sensation, right? Realize that it's just a natural part of, of their body. It's not something to be feared. I mean, applying this all to our daily lives... It just makes me think of how many sensations all of us feel when we go on the internet. It's There's obviously outrage and anger and sadness and shock and beautiful things. And it's just so much emotion that we take in every time we look at a screen. And no wonder... I guess we feel physically bombarded. Yeah, so so I think bombarded is a good term. Um, we are increasingly being bombarded by sensory signals, whether it's what we're looking at on the internet, whether it's our social media, whether it, it's simply the number of times we check email. Right. What happens is that silence is an increasingly endangered species. It's become that way for us as as a species. How often can you say that in your day-to-day -day environment, you took the time to not be engaged in something? So the antidote to overstimulation is taking in nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So something that we're studying called uh, reduced environmental stimulation therapy or REST. You probably know it uh, as uh, the older term uh, sensory deprivation. Mm. Um, but essentially what we're, what we've been studying for the past eight years is what's the impact of exposing somebody to an environment where there really is a limited amount of input for their nervous system to have to deal with. So when we put somebody in one of our flotation tanks, they will lay down in a pool of water, about 11 inches, that's filled with Epsom salt. And... It's a warm solution of water, so it's heated to about 95, 94 degrees Fahrenheit, the temperature of the surface of your skin. The air is also heated to the same level. And the salt water is so dense that when you lay down in the water, you float effortlessly on top. If you're not moving, there's no proprioceptive signals for your, for your brain to have to process. So what do you, how do you think that would make somebody feel? Well, funny you should mention this. We actually have one of those float centers here and in my mm -hmm. neighborhood. And I tried it a couple years ago and was coming from, you know, my crazy neighborhood and then suddenly plunged into nothingness. And um, it, I, I really, I struggled to settle mm -hmm. down. 
Well, well, one thing I would say is, is um, you know, my, my first float was also not a great one. Hmm, really? Yeah. But my second float was a much, much more enjoyable experience. And one of the things that still persists as a memory, it's, a, it's, all, it's like a physical memory, is the muscle relaxation that I felt for days afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah. And actually, so, so we've done research on this now. We've done studies showing that in anxious and depressed individuals, when they floated six times, the feeling of anxiety and stress reduction and the relaxation and the muscle tension reduction persisted for up to two days after floats. And why? Why do you think this is happening? Is, is it just simply that we stop giving the nervous system so much input? So I ask you the question, how often can you say that in your daily life, you've actually taken the time to simply not engage in an activity? Yeah. So this is different from meditation. We're just simply giving the nervous system a rest. Hmm. There are um, anthropologic studies that have been done of hunter-gatherer societies where they categorize the activity that people were engaged in. And the activity that's in the top three or the top five is doing nothing. Yeah, that does not sound like my life or my kids' lives at all. So what do you think people, especially young people, can do to help them tune into what their bodies and minds need? Yeah, that's a good question. Based on what I know from my research, one of the questions that I would want to ask is, what do you notice in your body when you see particular content? How does it impact you? Are you attending to that? If the reinforcement learning uh, algorithm that's feeding you <laughs> visual and auditory images that you seem to like, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, do you notice that? After talking to Saeeb, I decided to give the flotation tank another try. All right. This is exciting. And... After a long week of loud midtown mayhem, terrifying headlines, and intense Zoom meetings running long. Now, lie back and float. Don't worry, the Epsom salt solution will support you. Spending an hour with no expectations, nothing to look at or listen to, it felt like when you push that force quit button on your laptop after you finally realize that you haven't turned off your computer in a week and all the apps you've been running that whole time are starting to slow you down? <sighs> okay. When my hour was up... All good things must come to an end. In the pod, you will be alerted to the end of your float session by a light coming on. I got out of the tank, and I felt less like an automaton. More human again. All done. Very decompressed. No more words. The frazzle faded away, and I went back to just being a hunk of flesh. And now it makes me think, we're always saying we need to do more, exercise more, sleep more, meditate more. But what if we also need to experience less? <laughs> Is it an oxymoron to put feel no sensations on my to-do list? Because I think I need it. Saeeb says if you can't get to a float tank, you can just try to find a quiet room with 
No dog, no phone, no interruptions. It's not easy. So you could do this in your own home, assuming you're able to construct or engineer your environment in a way that you're not going to be distracted for an hour or 45 minutes or even a half hour. If you think about sort of what rhythms and, um, and reflexes may be occurring, even just muscle tension, it just may take time for those to play out in order for you to sort of experience that physical reset. So, Saeed, you're saying you can rush the rest of your life, but your body is going to need to take the time that it needs. Yes, you cannot rush the body. Dr. Sahib Khalsa is a psychiatrist and neuroscientist, and he's director of clinical operations at the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. After a quick break, how do we set up kids to manage their emotions and their bodies better? A school that thinks it's found an answer. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI, generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code RADIOHOUR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. Over the course of this series, and especially the last couple weeks, we've been hearing from educators and students about the relationship they have between their tech and their bodies and how they are succeeding or struggling to get movement into their day. Hi, this is Nora Mattel. Um, I live in Anchorage, Alaska, and I am a high school teacher. I maybe sit an hour a day max. The rest of the time, I'm up just kind of moving around my students. This is Annalise Rosen. I am an NPR listener and a first grade teacher in Mamaroneck, New York. This cultural shift doesn't begin in the workplace. It begins in our school system. I have my classes online, I have some homework online, but it almost feels like an excuse of saying that I can't also look on Instagram. <laughs> you know, something like that. So say eight to ten times a day, I get up and walk around for five minutes. Uh, in fact, the school campus has some outdoor space, so I go out and I walk around outdoors. My mood throughout the day when I do that is much more stable. We are training our children from the moment they enter the school doors that sitting and listening is part of success rather than taking the time to move in order to fuel our minds and bodies. We so appreciate your feedback. Please keep it coming. Bodyelectric at NPR.org. And we want to share one more story. This is a good one before we go. It's from an elementary school that coaches kids to be in touch with their sensory signals 
right from the start. I was going to say, unlike most classes, we don't use um, power boards or yeah. like electronic yeah. boards. Yeah. So, so like, Body electric producer Katie Monteleone was so intrigued by what they're doing at the River School that she went for a visit. If you need to get up and move or you need water wow. or something yeah. like that, how do you, do you tell your teacher? Well, a lot of the times you can just, um, like, like, walk over there. Maybe you need to do some, like, like uh, push-ups or wall sits or jumping jacks, you know? Like, like just push-ups. wait for, like, a good time. Because here's the really unusual thing about the River School. There are no desks. No desks. No, they don't. They don't need it. But you're seeing a lot of... Christiane Connors that. is director of curriculum and instruction. Okay, we'll playground down there, so you've got oh, wow. three playgrounds. Oh, cool. And so those little guys are plant- preparing to go downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, she showed Katie lots of places where students can sit. Beanbag chairs, cushions on the ground, couches. The wobble stools, a calm-down corner, pillows, alternative seating. But when they went to some classrooms... The kids weren't even there. A third of our children's day is spent in movement. So you'll often see students going on nature walks or community walks. All this movement isn't just about getting exercise. The curriculum includes teaching kids to feel their breathing, pay attention to how they're feeling, and self-regulate. Yeah, since we can move it around and sit we're pretty much wherever you want. Back in one classroom, fourth graders gathered around Katie to tell her all about the communal tables that they constantly move around the room. It's kind of more like open seating because... We move the tables every day. Yeah, it's like they're always, never in the same they're, spot. they're always moving around. Most of the students seem to love it. Like sometimes we'll do like math basketball. Yeah, yeah that also makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing like busy work and sitting in a chair and like going out of test. Like going in our work. The approach also works for teacher Natalie McFetridge. Yeah, I think that having the different options and being in tune with what their body needs because there are different options and we give them the opportunity to decide where would be the best learning environment for them depending on the day. <laughs> yeah, but also our science is really good. Uh, if only all kids could get the best learning environment for them. One that includes lots of movement and interoception. Obviously, that is far easier to do at a private progressive school which has smaller classes and lots of staff. Let's not kid ourselves. But as we've been talking about, to really live healthier, it's more than just each of us changing our personal habits. We need to rethink how we structure time in our workplaces, in our schools. And we got to start somewhere. So thank you very much, River School students and teachers, for having us. And listeners, the takeaway for this week is... Try, try including just a little bit more silence, a little less noise in your life. If it means putting away the phone, yeah, we all try to do that, right? Maybe just turning off podcasts while you walk or go on your movement snacks. Speaking of which, if you've been taking movement breaks over the last couple weeks and had, I don't know, some kind of personal breakthrough, it doesn't have to be big, anything, anything at all, I want to know, record a voice memo or even a video, and send it to bodyelectric at npr.org. And please, I, I love hearing from you. Please keep the feedback on Instagram. I'm at Manoush Z, and on Facebook, at Ted Radio Hour coming. It is super helpful. 
Next week, our grand finale, part six, results, data from our study with Columbia University researchers. How it all went. Did we collectively change how society sees movement in our day, even just a little bit? Or were all the interruptions just too much? Lead researcher Keith Diaz is back. Plus, can our future technology help us have a better relationship with our bodies and upend this era of sedentary living? I try out the latest gear and talk to a developer thinking really hard about this topic. Please find and share this series. All of the episodes so far are at npr.org slash bodyelectric or in the TED Radio Hour podcast feed. Body Electric was produced by Katie Monteleone and edited by Sanaz Meshkinpour with production support from Rachel Faulkner-White. Original music by David Herman. Our audio engineer was Carly Strange. Our fact checker was Chloe Weiner. Thanks also so much to Anya Grundman, Lauren Gonzalez, Lindsay McKenna, Yolanda Sangweni, Beth Donovan, Irene Noguchi, Julia Carney, and Fiona Guerin. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and you've been listening to Body Electric from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, VCU Massey Comprehensive Cancer Center, who, as an NCI-designated comprehensive cancer center in the country's top 4%, is unconditionally committed to keeping loved ones in their lives. MasseyCancerCenter.org slash comprehensive. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation.